I'll talk to you later. You can clap for her, it's fine. Just clap for her. All right. Um, by the way, uh, the window, we have these window decals. And if you put those on your car, you're much less likely to have your car vandalized by someone you know. <laughs> Cops won't pull you over, you know, and there's a lot of other benefits. So, um, well, I got to tell you, I'm a little bit excited about today's message because um, it's not about amputations or drowning or hell or divorce. Um, it's about children. So I've entitled week number 45 in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I've entitled this one, For the Kids. So today's passage is only four verses. And it's about children. So that's cute, right? It's adorable. It's precious. It's so simple. Open and shut sermon, right? Jesus loved kids. Let's go home, right? Is that it? <clears throat> See, I believe that many do not give this passage the incredible, deep, rich, theological weight that it deserves. There are so many aspects of our Lord and our God that we learn about in this short little area, this pericope, this teaching area. I believe it can have huge implications on many levels for our walk. So have you ever had a moment where you are expressing maybe your hurt feelings? Maybe you're expressing passion about a particular topic or a subject or something that's happened to you. You have some intense emotive actions going on and someone with you says something like, stop your whining. Don't be a baby. You're being a petulant child. You ever had somebody tell that to you? How effective was that, by the way, in getting you to shut up? Oh, yeah, you know what? You're right. I'm being a child. Never mind. Right. Well, that's the passive-aggressive reaction, maybe. But for me, I, I, I've always found it very offensive. I found it belittling, incendiary, and insulting. You're being a child. I'll go another step further. You know, I was a youth pastor for two decades and it continued on for another decade to some degree with the Nightlife Center, right? And uh, I still hang with younger people uh, on a weekly basis here at the Nightlife Center. And I guess I can still relate to teens today and youth today, just a knack maybe that God has given me over the years. And it always bothered me, though, when I was in ministry and things were going well. And, you know, I had adult teams and all this. I was managing a budget and all these things. And somebody would say, oh, you're just a big kid. And I know what they meant by that. They were trying to be maybe um, making a compliment, but I hated it. My, res my first response was, um, you know, I got a mortgage. And I, I pay that bad boy on time. I even negotiated a refi at a lower rate. Are you able to do that? I have a good credit rating. I write books. I'm not a kid. I'm a man. I'm an adult. Can't you see that? Well, in reality, you guys can relate to what I'm saying. In the first century, probably because of Pharisee culture, it was even worse then to be compared to or considered a child. So let's look at the passage today. <clears throat> um, for some reason, that one's missing. I'll just read it to you. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them, the people that were bringing their babies. But when Jesus saw it, he was ignorant, indignant. And said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. 
Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, folded them, the Greek says, in his arms, and blessed them, laying his hands on them. That's the passage. Let's look at the historical application of the passage. I want to talk about these mean disciples. But before we do that, let me give you a little background of Jesus and children. So we previously learned the station of children in the first century, especially with the huge number of orphans, was not good, right? We've talked about that several times in the last few weeks. And since Mark 9, Jesus has actually referred to children three times directly and in one time indirectly. Each one was to teach his disciples something about grace and mercy and redemption and the kingdom. Remember the first time was a healing of a boy possessed by evil. The second when the disciples were having an argument about who was going to be first in heaven. Remember that one? Then we have children involved in an indirect way when he talked about divorce the week before. Each one is talking about a different age group, a different stage of development in a child. And then we come to this particular interaction about children. So this is the fourth time in just a couple of chapters. Remember now, children were an afterthought. They were seen as a burden for many, not a blessing. And outside of their parents, the culture had very little concern for children. And without parents that genuinely cared for their physical and spiritual well-being, survival was almost impossible. There was no DCF. There was no organized orphanages until the first century church came along later and provided it. They would just run on the streets fending for themselves. So that's Jesus and children and what's going on in the first century. I want to talk about babies in the temple. First thing I want you to see is the word that Jesus uses for children. It is the word pation. Some of you Star Wars freaks might recognize padawan. It means younger. But actually, this Greek word means not child. It means infant. Maybe a toddler, but it's a toddler or younger of either gender. So it's a male or female, infant or toddler. So in Judaism, there was nothing children were able to do to pursue a relationship with Jehovah until the age of 12. So that was kind of the standard. And the Talmud teaches, though, in, re, in, in absence of that opportunity, the Talmud teaches us that there was a common practice where parents would bring their babies to the rabbi at the synagogue or for the elders to bless them. It was usually only, though, one, maybe two days a year before the Day of Atonement. Right before that, you could bring your children on that day for blessing. Any decent Jewish parent would have concern for their baby, their spiritual and physical future, in such a harsh culture. But other than that special day, children, especially babies, did not have a role in the Jewish synagogue system. You weren't even supposed to bring them. This is a tradition playing out with Jesus as parents at this point in this story are bringing their babies. They're not like five, six, seven-year-olds. These are like one year or younger, maybe two years at the most. These are very young. Parents are bringing their babies to Jesus for blessing. These parents no doubt had heard about Jesus. They'd seen his power. They'd heard him teach about the kingdom and salvation. And their motivation isn't just for earthly blessing, but for the eternal security of the soul of their baby. And in verse 16, it says, in the Greek, it says that he cradled them, he folded them in his arms. 
So we can clearly see that people are bringing babies and not seven-year-olds. You ever tried to fold a seven-year-old in your arms? These are young, young children, young babies being brought to Jesus. But these mean disciples turn them away. See, bringing your child in this culture, the culture the Pharisees had set up, bringing your child at the wrong time was very rude. It was inconsiderate, and it would result in you being turned away forcefully. This was to keep marginal, random families from overwhelming the important, busy rabbis and synagogue elders. Disciples were instinctively dealing harshly with these parents, bringing their kids to Jesus. And the word that says, explains what they were doing, it's called epitomeo. It means to censure or admonish, forbid, to charge, rebuke. So they weren't saying, hey guys, you might have to come back later. They were being, no, 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 get out of here. No, get away. This is not the right time. Jesus doesn't have time for this. It's a strong, forceful rebuke of these parents and their babies from inappropriately approaching Jesus for blessing at the wrong time in the wrong place. I mean, think of the Pandora's box this would open, right? If people believe Jesus is accessible to babies, that he'll bless their kids, it's going to be an overwhelming crowd. This is not the time. This is not the place. Jesus cannot be bothered with these babies. He doesn't have time for this. That's not a pretty scene, is it? So Jesus then comes up, and I just want to title this section, Jesus Loves Babies. You like the little heart? I worked on that for a long time. Can you all just... First, I want to point out the religious codependence that these Pharisees have, all right? So Jesus isn't surprised by this scene. He knows the disciples need another important lesson about what the kingdom and salvation is all about. And once again, the disciples have revealed their ongoing codependent relationship with this Pharisee culture. What do I mean by codependence? Here's a definition. Excessive emotional or or psychological reliance on a partner. Typically one who requires support on an account of an illness or addiction. See, codependent relationships, they're so strange, aren't they? I mean, you look at them from the outside and you see one and you scratch your head. What is wrong with these people? Of course, we don't see our own. What happens is with our codependent relations, we stay unbelievably loyal to them. No matter the abuse we take, you just can't shake free. And by habit, what we do is we run back to these codependent relationships, even though we know they could very well bring verbal, physical, emotional damage and destruction, financially even, into our lives. This is what the disciples are doing. You would think by now they'd be sick of anything Pharisee, right? Despite, I mean, you think they would trade in all their Pharisee t-shirts for Grace Life t-shirts that are only $18 suggested donation. You would think that that's what they would do, but no. Despite all the abuse they've suffered at the hands of the Pharisees, the threats, the shaming in public, the embarrassment, for some reason these guys still want the Pharisees' approval of this movement they're a part of, this Jesus thing. You know, never once in Scripture do we see an example of the disciples forcibly preventing the Pharisees from approaching Jesus. They let those bullies come anytime they wanted. They didn't have the courage or the guts to cut them off. But the babies and the parents get away. 
even though by now they certainly understood salvation by grace and mercy, they just can't break away from this habitual codependent relationship, this warped thinking. Knowing the culture that they are addicted to, they instinctively prevent these families from coming to Jesus on the wrong day at the wrong place. Now, I want to tell you, don't be too hard on these guys. As with us, they didn't even recognize their codependency. But it's definitely there. You can see it. And Jesus' response is so powerful. They belong to the kingdom. See, it's a stern and it's a very public rebuke of the disciples because they're being very public with their rebuke of the parents. So Jesus combats that with an equally public rebuke. He's also making a very clear rejection of this Pharisee culture. This is more than Jesus. It's not Jesus just saying, Aw, those are cute babies. It's fine. Let them come. That's not, no, he's not like, no, no, disciples, it's okay. Just bring them. That's not what the scripture says happens here. It's a bold declaration. He says, no, no. These babies that you're preventing to come to me, they belong to the kingdom, my kingdom. Don't hinder them. They actually have more right to me than anyone. He's making a statement that the beloved culture of the Pharisees is meaningless to him. See, the Pharisees were good at the feasts and the rituals and the ceremonies and the self-righteousness. They had all that down, but Jesus has said on many occasions, many times, the exact opposite of what he says about the babies. You have no part in the kingdom. But the babies, they are part of the kingdom. <clears throat> Guys, these babies are more important to me than any time-honored Pharisee tradition or habit. And Jesus has repeatedly rejected these Pharisees, yet he welcomes these helpless, vulnerable, get this now, this is how they were viewed, spiritually incompetent babies. It's pretty amazing. He doesn't provide, as you know, before you come to me, he doesn't provide any religious protocols they have to fulfill. There's no calendar limits. There's no ritual, no feast, no synagogue membership. He says, just let them come. And why does he say this? Is it just because he loves kids? No. There's a far bigger lesson that Jesus is teaching here. He's talking about faith like an infant. See, these babies aren't coming to Jesus of their own free will. They're powerless to bring themselves to Jesus. They can't come into his presence on their own. They're being brought by parents. Many these babies, many of these babies are so young, they have no idea who Jesus is or why they're there. There's no comprehension of Messiah, any theology of any type, they barely have more than a surface interaction with Jesus, maybe a smile, maybe a laugh, maybe they cry. Even more, get this, these babies are so young, they can't even comprehend sin. They don't have any idea what righteousness is. Eternity? It's not even a thought. Forgiveness? What is that? These are concepts they have no ability to grasp. And not only does he receive these babies, look at this. You see that picture? He cradles them in his hands, the scripture says. I mean, what a picture of intimate, 
care, and love for the most vulnerable in the community. And they're in the most vulnerable position a baby can be in, right? Look, I love babies. Don't get me wrong. But my wife will tell you, Laura will tell you, I am scared to death of holding them. Because they can't protect themselves if I drop them. I'm, that, that's like, whenever I have a baby in my hand, I'm like, my heart rate is racing. I'm scared. Like, oh, it's so cute. I'm thinking, please, somebody take this thing quick before I drop it. I mean, I'm, I'm, af- I'm afraid. Because the baby is so vulnerable. It's at that moment, as Jesus is cradling the baby, holding it in his arms, it's at that moment Jesus says, you can imagine, right? Jesus has got this child, this baby. He says, unless you come to me like this, and he's looking at the baby, maybe looks up and says, you'll never get in. Unless you come to me like this, you're never having anything to do with my kingdom. An adult like us, we would never tolerate being coddled and held by a rabbi, would we? Like, I don't see if you come up, Pastor Joe, can you just cuddle me in your arms? <laughs> we have too much pride, right? Can you imagine? I got to come into the kingdom, and this is what the people are thinking when they hear this. I got to come to the kingdom like that? Like a baby? That's embarrassing. It's demoralizing. Belittling. I'm a grown man. I'm a grown woman. I'm not a baby. I can make my own way. So that's the theological. What about the personal? What are we supposed to do and why and how do we do it? Can you click it forward for me, Ronnie? Just click one of the, air, the space bar on the thing. I'm having a problem. Hit the space bar. There we go. Got it. Okay. I want to talk about learning from babies. This was the, this was the social media campaign this week. Um, never mind childlike faith, what would the faith of an infant look like? See, when you understand the age of the children that we're dealing with here, this becomes an incredibly important passage on so many levels. This is a lesson you need to hear today. There are implications about maybe even if babies go to heaven. You ever wondered about that? This passage addresses that. But it's even more crucial than that. It's what Jesus is teaching about a rich, powerful image about grace. Sovereign grace. Mercy-filled grace. Babies with no will or no ability at all to come, or to even rationally comprehend the idea of faith and believing. And Jesus says we got to come like them. See, using the picture of babies, Jesus is teaching us three things about how we have to see him. The first one I want you to see is we have a sovereign redeemer. What does sovereign mean? In control. By the reverse, it means you're not in control, even of your own salvation. My favorite verse in the scripture, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, faith. It is the gift of God. Faith is the gift. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. We see here, being in the kingdom 
cannot be the result of human will, human decision, human effort, or anything like that. Being in the kingdom results from one thing, a decree from God. Jesus said they belong to the kingdom. See, you weren't born the first time of your will, were you? You know, I think I'm going to be born in 1967 so that when I'm 52, I can experience a global pandemic. <laughs> I didn't plan that. If you can't be born of your will the first time, how can you be born of your will the second time? Matter of fact, we have a story we're going to look at at some point in the near future. Well, how can I be born again? How do I enter my mother's womb? Here's another thing. Let's go if you're not a baby. Let's say you're four, five, six, or seven. You can manipulate a young child to believe anything. You can have them believe in Jesus one day and Santa Claus the next. That's not what Jesus meant. A baby can't even believe. Is this starting to hit home a little bit? See, the picture of babies being a part of the kingdom is a powerful, comforting affirmation of where faith and connection to Heavenly Dad comes from. It's a powerful illustration of how even the ability to believe is a gift of sovereign intervention in your life outside of yourself. This can also inform, like I said, what we believe about the eternal condition of babies or those maybe who are incapable of rational thought. See, other theological systems that are reliant upon man's free will, that man has to somehow choose God on his own, they have to manufacture fake theological concepts like an age of accountability. See, it's much simpler if we just take Jesus at his word when he says babies belong to the kingdom and you've got to come in like one of them. He doesn't say that there's a switch. He says it's all just like this. If you try to come any other way than this, you're not getting in. And remember the picture. He's holding the baby in his hands, in his arms. He says, if you don't come into the kingdom like this, you're not getting in. But you are. Yes, you are. Right? You can see how powerful that image would be. So that's the first thing. We have a sovereign redeemer. Aren't you thankful? I know I am, because I would find a way to screw it up if faith were left to me. But we also have a relentless redeemer. Oh, I love this one. I just get chills thinking about this. He is also revealing that he has a relentless motivation to seek and to save that which is lost Look at John 10, 29 and 30, or 20, 29 and 30. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Do you see the word hand there? It's not just the idea of he's got a big hand and there's a million people in it. It's a picture of a baby. It's the same picture that we see in Mark. I love this one too in John 6, 37. All the father gives me will come. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You know what happened right after Jesus said that, by the way? Remember I talked about people who are offended by being called a child? The Pharisees picked up rocks and tried to kill him. They hated it. See, Jesus is rebuking his disciples in a way that demonstrates no thing or no one is able to keep Jesus from his children. No power on earth. 
or in heaven can stand in the way of Jesus connecting with us. Nothing. We can't, can't, there's no way that, that we can comprehend God's gift of faith. Even how it works in the hearts of His chosen of all ages. Get this, even in their last moments. This is why sovereign grace is so powerful. It can save anyone of any age, at any time, in any circumstance they face. On a deathbed, in a womb, as babies, as teenagers. Nothing can keep God's children from coming to the kingdom, even if they're powerless babies. You know why? Because Jesus will allow nothing to get in between them, even his disciples. Maybe even his church. Then I want to talk about this last one. It's called the exclusive redeemer. Right? So we have the sovereign redeemer. We have the relentless redeemer. Now we have this exclusive redeemer that we learn about in this passage. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Coming to the Father means coming to the kingdom. He says, you've got to come like this, and it's through me. Today's passage, right, that we just learned about in Mark, about how you have to come like a baby, when you combine it with John 14, 6, it gives you a much deeper application than just a theological one that says, well, you have to have the pure gospel if you're going to come to Jesus. Well, yes, it it includes that, but it's a lot more than that. You have to have the pure gospel mixed with being a baby. You see how they connect and they work together? It becomes personal then. It's not just some theoretical, theological concept. Yes, the only way to Jesus is the gospel, the pure gospel. Don't mix anything with it. Yes, but there's another component. And you've got to be like a baby. He is saying you will not be permitted to come to me except with the gospel. You must abandon your codependent relationships. You must abandon your free will, your human effort, your religion, your confidence in your ability to trust. You want that intimate connection in the kingdom with Heavenly Dad? There's only one way, and it's through me, like this. And you will know, church, you have it right. Because it looks like how a baby would have to do it. I mean, think about a church. If this is how Jesus interacts with babies on a spiritual level, babies who can't really comprehend anything, shouldn't this be an immense comfort to us? Like an overwhelming comfort about our eternal security in salvation? Understanding the depths of the theological impacts of this story gives you a new level of vulnerable intimacy to contemplate. Especially when you read verses like this one in Psalms. Look at this one. You ever thought about this one? For you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. It doesn't mean he just created you. It means he knew you. He loved you. He folded you in his arms. You see how Psalm 139, 13 takes on a whole new level of intimacy and compassion when it comes to our Jesus? So what is the response that Jesus is wanting from you today with this concept? 
I'll tell you what he wants. He wants nothing but total capitulation and then worship, gratitude, and awe. He wants us to abandon our codependent relationships with faith in ourselves or in others and come to him like babies. Here's what that looks like. Jesus, I don't bring anything. I can't do anything. I can't be anything. I'm a helpless baby. And without my sovereign, relentless, exclusive redeemer, I have no hope of ever coming to the kingdom of God. And then what is his response when, we, when that happens? Come here, my little child. You belong to the kingdom. Heavenly Dad, we have no problem today in the light of this passage saying we're babies. Lord, help us to understand what it means to fully abandon every aspect of adulthood when it comes to how we connect with you. It goes against everything in our mind and heart to think that we have to be like someone who can't even read or speak. But then if you think about it, Lord, there's so much comfort in the fact that you can save us in spite of us at any moment. And for those of us whom you've already given us that gift of faith, we're so thankful and we stand in gratitude, worship, and awe to you for it. And for those in this room or maybe out listening on YouTube or the live stream on the website or wherever they are, perhaps for the first time they recognize, man, I've been trying to come to Jesus like an adult. No wonder it ain't been working. (laughs) So today, it's okay for you to call me a baby. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, I want to thank you guys for being here today. Just a couple of things. Uh, the Shepherd team is still working on uh, a component to resolve the issue of not being able to be together with our Grace Life family that has children. We're working on those things. You'll be hearing more about that in the very near future. We're working hard on about six or seven different projects to get that rolling. But in the meantime, if you need anything, let us know. We love you. Oh, and by the way, uh, if you want one of these incredible T-shirts or masks or stuff, we're not making any money on those. We're just trying to get them out there for this reason. We don't really have a building right now where we can all get together on, at, one, at one time. So we're trying to figure out ways to make people feel more part of the community. We just thought that was a little way to try to do it. Also, the decal will protect your cars from auto accidents. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs>